Borat Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 199th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly issues and once again venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1989 Judge Dredd Mega Special. This is the second Dread special and with a fair amount of new material and a lot of background material about the character as well. The price of the special is 85 pence, five pence up from last year. But most important is my guest for this episode, Eli, who's the future host of our Judge Dread magazine podcast. Welcome, Eli. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Uh, Happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, so... I've been sort of teasing every the 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 folks listening to this show with this uh, Judge Dredd magazine podcast I've got planned. I think of this ep- of this show this episode as episode zero of that show, which oh. I'm 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 calling in my mind uh, Big Meg One Space Spinner Two Thousand and Big Meg right. One. Um, yeah, your naming convention is amazing. I love it. L- listen, it's got to have numbers. It's got to have references to things. It's very important. It's, <laughs> we're Big Meg. Yeah, yeah. It's- it's good. Yeah. So, uh, and and it's especially good because this special has a lot of background dread information, Mega City One history, that I hope will be helpful in getting a sense of the character and stuff. You know, dread's more complex than I think some people give him credit for. But before we get into that, Eli, I'd love to ask you some questions and just look, get get let the audience get a chance to know you a little bit better. Welcome aboard. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, do you want to ask questions first, or do I just start talking about my? No, no, no. Let me ask. I, I guess my standard question is always, "What's your experience with comics generally?" Which I know is a big. Que- You've got a big answer for, so I'd love to hear. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, I have a unique perspective in that uh, I also make my own comics. Um, I'm an indie comic creator. Uh, so, but nice. I got introduced to comics at a very young age. Uh, sadly, I started with uh, manga-style comics, just usual Shonen Jump stuff back when mm-hmm. I was in middle school. Started making my own, got back into more uh, vague indie comics uh, <laughs> in the last maybe 10 years, and you know have grown in appreciation for both mainstream and indie comics. I do have my favorites. I have my least favorites. I won't get into those, uh, only because they... I found that comic fans can be very particular about, uh, you know, their fandoms. Oh, Uh, absolutely. But uh, uh, always been passionate about art and uh, storytelling, crafting narratives and the visuals that people use to help illustrate those things. I have a a bachelor's in motion graphic design. So I'm all about telling stories visually and communicating ideas through art. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's really... um... Like I'm, I'm really stoked for you to be on the show just because I think you've got a perspective that that I definitely don't have. Like I feel like I try to talk about art, and I I don't even have the words for it. So I feel like <laughs> um, I'm very excited to hear like you know your, your your perspective on stuff. Yeah, what is it? I always think it. I, the reason I'm very interested in comics in particular is because uh, you have art. You just imagine a painting. Right. You have storytelling. You can just imagine a book. But comics is this weird in-between where it's both of them together. But for some reason, when you put them together, it's like um, more than the sum of its parts. It creates this added element to it that is, you know, interesting in its own way. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. I could talk a lot about it. I'm going to try to 
let you no 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 please go ahead man like i uh i talk too much anyway so i'm always happy for someone else to come in (laughs) we'll we'll make a a a good team we'll both go on tangents and then you just be my lifeline just reel reel me back in when i've gone too far and i'll try to do the same always happy to do so awesome so you said you yeah so you grew up with like manga and you've and you've and you've written and and you've uh read some more western comics and and mm-hmm. and indie comics too are, are you familiar with uh with a british comic traditions i am not yeah. i did read this you know mega edition mega special yeah yes and which actually i learned a lot being introduced to you know other cultures you know it's very interesting uh, but yeah. i would I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'd say I just dip my toe in. Yeah, I mean, I I'll say like you know, over these last like almost two hundred episodes, I've learned a lot about British culture generally and their comics specifically, just sort of by going over things and uh, and going into it. They sort of have a slightly different, um, I, I guess, tradition than but than than uh, that, that, that American comics or or, or Japanese ones. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, kind of like. Je- like a shonen or something like that. Um, most British comics, are, especially in this era in the late '80s, are anthology comics, mm-hmm. but they're sold weekly. So okay. basically, you get like every month you get four to five like thirty-page issues every month, and cool. each one of those has like four to eight stories in them or so, with different creative teams with very little crossover between the stories and stuff like that. Right. So yeah. a lot of the big – so like the big tradition in like British comics is being able to tell a story very quickly because a right. lot of times you got to kind of like, you know, resolve the cliffhanger, have the action and have another cliffhanger for next week in like three or four pages basically. So – Yeah. I definitely felt that. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely – there's definitely episodic is what, how would I use to describe them. Absolutely. And so it means that we end up with like the big like – you know, sometimes a really big story will end up being being like graphic novel size or so, but there are like major like stories in 2000 AD that end up being like 40 pages long or something like that, just because that's still like 10 issues and it takes a lot of time, but you kind of, you know, it's sort of one issue of like an American comic or something like yeah, that. No, absolutely. No, I definitely felt that. And I, I like that, especially with comics especially if you know it's a publication like that mm-hmm. that way you get your get your fix it's all self-contained you don't necessarily need to wait till you know you don't you can get your fix pretty quickly yeah uh, and I, there's a lot of variety so like if one story right. isn't good there's a you know there's other stuff that, you, that that usually will be and things like that yeah i always like episodic comics because i guess we'll we'll see in these ones we're going to talk about but sometimes because you have to get the pivotal action or the main theme to the story. So mm-hmm. sometimes that happens at really inopportune times. <laughs> so it's like you'll just be walking down the street and then, oh no, this thing happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's always fun just kind of seeing where these things take place. Absolutely. And so I guess building on that, um, are you familiar at all with the character of uh, Judge Dredd? I am a little familiar. I've seen on uh, a lot of social media. I know some people who have tattoos of him, but mm-hmm. I'd say that this issue is uh, my biggest um, uh, kind of mm-hmm. introduction into the mythos. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere for sure. I'll yeah. kind of let you let you know here. So, uh, so Dread debuted in the second issue or, or prog they're called of 2000 AD in uh, in early March 1977. 
And after a few months, he became basically the flagship character of the comic. Like right now, the masthead, like, like the actual title of the comic 2000 AD is 2000 AD featuring Judge Dredd, you know? Right. He's a super cop in the future. He polices a massive city that covers most of the eastern seaboard of the United States. Um, he was created by the artist Carlos Escara and the writer John Wagner. His uniform, like his, and so his uniform takes a lot of cues from World War II era Spanish fascists that, um, Carlos Escara grew up around when, when he was a kid. Um, and then his brash style comes from American cop shows that creator John Wagner grew up watching, basically. <laughs> I definitely, that definitely comes through. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's got sort of the, the, the final iteration of that cop on the edge, I get results kind of situation. Right. I did think it was interesting. I saw him, I knew the helmet, I could identify him. But mm-hmm. while I was going through the comic, I saw that there were other people kind of dressed that same way. Yeah, so, I mean, he's he's very much he, he's not like a superhero. He's like a, like a police officer, right? So that's just the uniform. That yeah, so he's it, just one. He's like a notable judge, but just one judge among thousands in Mega City One, basically. So everybody's yeah. kind of got their version, you know, has their own uniforms and things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I know that all the ones we're going to talk about went over went through this particular judge. Are there any other judges that uh, get the limelight or would that be too confusing? No, no, no. Um, I mean, like usually – like usually it's dread. But I mean mm. we, we – like um, even in this special, we have a story from, from – mostly from the perspective of Judge Hershey who mm. is a female judge who is like on the Council of Five, the ruling council of Mega City One and she does some stuff. Um Right. There's all like I'd say the 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 main other judge is Judge Anderson, who's also a female judge. Um, but she is a psychic also. She's like a side judge, it's called. And so <laughs> she often um interacts with like the more mystical things. Cause the thing about ju- about the the world of Judge Dredd, right? Is that it's an omni science fiction platform, basically. So right. like there's space travel, there's aliens. There's wizards, there's magic, like whatever, right. like judge, like there, there are vampires. There was a story where Dredd got turned into a werewolf, you know, <laughs> there's also ones where he traveled the stars and went to alien planets and stuff like that. Like sort of any right. kind of science fiction convention can fit into Judge Dredd basically. Right. I guess the beauty of uh, sci-fi, there's a fi in there. You can add some fantasy elements as much as you want. Absolutely. Well, yeah, so uh, that's a lot of fun. But I, sorry, I was guessing more uh, just coming from a visual perspective. Are yeah. there any episodes where there's a character that looks just like Judge Dredd going through stuff and they just don't tell you that it's a different judge? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, yeah. that that that's happened recently. Actually, it, it mentioned in some of the written things that like Dredd's a uh, Dredd's a clone of a. Mm. a of an earlier judge and stuff. And there was, that makes sense. there, there was a plot line earlier, actually, I think in uh like maybe in 88, I want to say, but, but recently um, where like in one of his more recent adventures, dread fought this, uh, this evil army of judges that ha- ha- were, were like stolen clones from mega city one. Um, <laughs> That's fine. And they, he ended up fighting them in like that, in a uh, airs rock that, that big dome in Australia and he like blew it up with a nuke and stuff like that. But there was one survivor who's also a clone of dread. Nice. Okay. Like, like the same stock. So they're, clone. Yeah. There has been times where like we've sort of seen that guy moving around and dread and like being like, Oh man, like wait, that's not dread or like dread also doing stuff like, Whoa, what's going on here? You know? Right. And yeah, I think that's fun. I'm sorry. I, as I'm going through, 
comics or even ideas, I always think of like interesting things. Do they ever explain if that is the original Dread or if that was the clone or like, or is it just a mystery that the audience just has to figure out I mean, for themselves? They kind of explain in that case, but like okay. when That's we fine. get to the start of the magazine, there will have been some clone shenanigans, but I don't want to talk okay. about it. I don't want to talk about that too much for fear right. of spoiling people who haven't gotten too far, oh, right. especially oh. my, my co-host Fox Absolutely. and stuff like that on Space Spinner. All right. No problem. I think that's that's fair. Good. I like it. But yeah, there's definitely they definitely play around with that stuff for sure. Like that's sort that's, of coming awesome. up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Yeah. Excellent. So, you know, so since Dredd's such a big character, he's been running constantly pretty much since 1977. So I think as we're recording, this will be at like Prague uh, 620. So there's been like three issues of 2018 he hasn't been in. And like one of them was the first one. So he's mm. had like 617 mm. adventures so far, basically. Wow. Um, That's a lot. Like so there's, that. a, there's a lot of history up in, up until that point. And it means that – and he's continued being in the comic that often to today. So now there's like 40 some – 42 some years of history. Um, it's, right. it's, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll talk about some of that today as well. Awesome. Okay. So just sort of, I don't know, I want to sort of address this to everybody, just my, my plan for Big Meg One and this, and this, um, uh, me- magazine podcast, I guess. Um, my plan is for our show to cover, we'll cover two months at a time, but generally run at the same time as regular Space Spinner 2000. So Space Spinner will, will say on Monday, we'll do Big Meg One on Friday or, Space Spinner will, will be on Monday and cover about a month of 2000 AD. And then every other Friday, Big Meg One will come on and cover those same months, basically. And, you know, mm-hmm. we'll eventually the, – the magazine is going to go fortnightly, but that's a problem for 2021, Conrad and Eli. So, we don't got to worry about that mm-hmm. at, right. at, the, at this point, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Forget um, those guys. They'll deal with it. Listen, I don't care about future me, man. The guy has been candle himself. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm yeah, also – yeah, absolutely. And I hope I can also get you back for the nine for the nineteen ninety mega special. Um and we might do maybe do some stuff along the way. I've got some ideas for how to just give you like some a crash course in Judge Dredd and some key things, yeah, you know. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So the uh so let's let's get a story here or or to the to the book here, I guess. Uh, the special opens with a cover by by Brandon McCarthy of of Joe Dredd menacing us with his lawgiver pistol. Um <laughs> And it seems like a lot of the of 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 like the the blacks in his uniform and his face have been re- replaced as light blue, which kind of gives mm. it like a negative kind of look that feels very 1990s to me. I must yeah. say, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely some psychedelic uh, things going on here. They yeah. still seem to prioritize the helmet. They kept the red and the yellow on the helmet. They didn't want to mess that up. No, uh, that the, just, the, just, the helmet's so iconic. I think that you right. kind of have to. Yeah, exactly. Like like so, keep it going. So they know they know what they're doing, uh, but yeah, we, we have details. It looks like it's either color pencil or maybe pastels, so maybe a type of acrylic. So mm-hmm. It's done very well. You can see. I'm not sure there's ink on this. Yeah, uh, the lines are very light. Uh, sorry, uh, no. I think I'm about to go too far into the art. Listen, uh, <laughs> I don't know no, if we want to do it for every page, but I love some forensic analysis of the art. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have a really nice psychedelic background. They have a very muscular neck going on. Make yeah. sure you don't want to mess with this guy. No, that's a big uh, that, that's a big feature of a of of Brendan McCarthy specifically. He's got a very he he paints a very or he draws a very wide dread like <laughs> you know in, in neck and helmet like his helmet's got got kind of a salad bowl feel. Um, right. 
in a way that's different than than other people's than the way other people draw it. I think. Yeah, I did notice that everyone else kind of has a uh, a type of, but um, it's almost go bullet like a dome. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, this one's more of a, a saucer. But yeah. I understand it definitely gives it a, a, a neater, more futuristic look. It almost is like, how is that staying on his head kind of thing? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, clamps or something going on in there. There's been theories for a, how a lot of Judge Dredd's gear stays on him. That sort of varies from person to person, you know, right. whether it's no. magnets or suction or anything in, in between almost. Right, yeah. But no, it's uh, uh, very well done. Yeah. yeah. It's very nice. And I'm glad that 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 we got some McCarthy at the start here. He's one of the guys that really kind of is it a defining artist for this era of Judge Dredd, who then go on to do work in a lot of comics and movies and t- and a TV over the years. He uh, he co-wrote uh, Mad Max Fury Road, one of my favorite movies. And yeah, like he said, he's got a really distinctive look on the on the inside cover. We've got Judge Dredd uh, surveying Mega City One, and it, it's got almost. Uh, like a Batman feel to me just because cause it's kind of on a rooftop as he looks over and there's like a big eagle kind of behind him looking out over over with him and stuff. Yes. It's very fun because, it, yeah, it is remnant of, you know, those night scenes. Uh, I've seen that in Spider-Man and Batman. Absolutely. I yeah. Feel, Anytime I, I hear he's about to go on patrol and he's like on the rooftops, like looking for right. looking for trouble. <laughs> I find it fun, though, because usually that type of structure is a part of a type of building. But you have that there, but the rest of the building is all domes, futuristic, circles, smooth lines. But then there's just this eagle on this one building yeah. over here. I uh, think it's the, I, I, I think it's the Great Hall of Justice, like the, uh, oh, right. the, the headquarters of Judge Dredd, because that's very oh, much okay. has a giant eagle kind of theme to it. Nice. And stuff. I yeah. like that. The eagle kind of represents justice. Yeah. I like that. It's, uh, and you can see it's got a similar look to the one on his shoulder as well, sort of like oh, they're both true. kind of looking out, you know. That's super fun. And you said he um, is patrolling a, a futuristic America, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the east coast of the United States. It used to go from kind of like southern Canada to like the tip of Florida. But then mm-hmm. there was a big war and sort of the southern half got, got kind of blown up from like North Carolina south, basically. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Like – that happened in the pages of the comics, you know, <laughs> just like you know, this. It That's was just cool. it was this crazy six month long war. Yeah, and I like mm-hmm. that you mentioned just just how the how the futuristic city looks. That's very much sort of a a a uh, I don't know a trademark of Mega City One or a big thing of its look. These big rounded domed like mega you know giant sized skyscrapers with flying cars going everywhere and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah. I kind of there's no. No one signed this one, but I was able to sort of investigate and figure out that it was uh, it was uh, drawn by a Doug by a Doug Braithwaite, who also draws uh, Judge Judge uh, Hershey later in the in in the special. Thanks to oh, uh, to Gary O'Donnell and Joe Soper from the 1977 to 2000 AD Facebook group, who yeah. I asked and they helped me out with that information. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, you can even see the details. Uh, the city is very detailed. You have a lot of lines. Yeah, uh, there's layers to it. It's very well done. Yeah. And he's drawn a lot of uh, wrinkles in Dredd's uniform, which is very similar to right. the Hershey story. Which is, I'm, I'm sort of saying those wrinkles are, a fin- are, a, are an artistic fingerprint, by God. <laughs> yes. Yes. You definitely feel that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's let's dive in to this special. Get hip deep in these, in these thrills, man. It's going to be awesome. Yes. So we, we start off with Thrill One, A Night at the Basho. <laughs> Uh, script robot John Wagner, art robot Kev Hopgood, letter robot Tom Frame. I should say, um, so <laughs> the, 
the thing about 2000 AD is that um, it's got kind of a story. Be- it, it, it's got kind of a meta story, which is that the comic's being put out by an alien editor, okay. like an alien from another planet who, who compiles and edits the comic. And so everybody, all the creative types that work at the comic, all the, all the authors and artists and letterers and stuff are all robots he's built. Okay. And there have been, and there are sometimes like a like robot caricatures of like different like creators and things like that. That's fun. But like, <laughs> but so that so I always do this do the do do the credits as script robot and art robot and things like that. Yeah, that's perfect. So John Wagner is sort of the big. He's the creator of Judge of Judge Dredd and sort of the the big um the big. One of the big names in uh, in writing for Dread, um, yeah. him he and his writing partner Alan Grant have done basically all of the Judge Dread writing for the last like eight or nine years, basically in uh, 2000 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very much the the creators and sort of the keepers of of the of the keepers of 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 canon in Judge Dread. Right. Like you know, okay. If it's not Especially by them, that the that the canonicity of the of what the of, of what the story is week to week is is questionable, basically. Right. That's fair. Yeah, we need that. We yeah. need that uh, solidarity. That yeah. draw these lines, you know. Yeah, exactly. You can't have nerd conversations if you can't cut things into canon and non-canon. Eli, that's exactly. key. <laughs> yes. Um, Kev Hopgood is is kind of a young artist. He's working on a series called uh, uh, Beyond Zero, Night Zero, in uh, the 2000 AD. And Tom frames a le- an old time letter robot. He's basically the primary letter for Judge Dredd. He's been doing it since since forever. Yeah, I believe most of these are lettered by him. Yeah, definitely. Nice. That yeah, I believe so. He's always he's a he's he's an incredibly prolific letterer in 2000 AD and and yeah, does, do, does a great job. Yeah. Does a ton of dread stuff especially. Mm-hmm. So, nice. we, we start off in black and white at the mm-hmm. all at the all-in sumo stadium. Nice. So, yes. I I guess sorry, dropping all this stuff here in uh, Mega City One, you know, it's this giant city. It's got like 500 million people in it or something like that. And it's full of fads and subcultures and things like that. Mm. And one of those subcultures is called the fatties. And it's basically people who eat impossible amounts of food and grow to impossible sizes. Like we've had one story of a, of a fatty that ate a thousand pounds of food. We've had All right. another one who grew to weigh 2,000 pounds. Or, or no, 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 sorry. Uh, I guess four thousand pounds because he weighed two tons. Two tons. They called him wow. Two Ton Tony. All right, <laughs> and he was just a, a just a mountain of a man. <laughs> like, oh. That's awesome. You yeah. know, okay, that that makes sense. But, yeah, I thought. But so yeah, what they say here, yeah, is that people who can't quite make the cut as a fatty instead make money as a sumo wrestler at the big basho or tournament at the stadium here at Mega City One. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I was um that. Makes a lot more sense. I thought it was the writer having being a fan of sumo wrestlers and trying to put them into the narrative, but I mean, this it, actually ties all of it together in a very believable type of way. Yeah, I, I mean, like that. It definitely could be that too. Like it's 1989, so it is really the peak. Uh, or like you know, in the midst of the peak of just kind of like everyone being interested in Japanese stuff in mm-hmm. like comics. I mean, this is definitely the you know we've seen even parodies of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and things like that in um in, right. in the page of 2000 AD. So this very like you know people are kind of interested in Japanese stuff, but this feels like they've kind of put it the narrative a little bit, like you say. Right. Yeah, which I give it a lot of credit for. Um, I give a lot of credit for uh, taking something that you don't see a lot and 
you know, incorporating it. Because, like I said, they have the whole world of science, they have the whole world of fantasy. So going into a little splash of sumo wrestling, I oh, really yeah. appreciate it. Always that. a good time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, like all combat sports, apparently the crowd's full of criminals. <laughs> right. And in, in this case, we see Mr. Slim, an older mafia type. And mm-hmm. he's approached by a dude with a sweet hat and coat named Ice Iceman Delgado. He's got a big yes. sack full of cash. Yes. Uh, I immediately liked Iceman. He's he was, cool, man. Come uh, on. Yeah. He's got 10 million creds and he needs 500 Ks of Shanghai Express by tomorrow. Um, one thing I uh, noted about this artist, it seems like they're using very traditional uh, comic book techniques. It looks mm-hmm. like it's pen and then a brush. Uh, a lot of the lines have these uh, nice, elegant curves to them, which mm-hmm. is usually uh, due to brushes. And then it also allows you to fill in those black areas uh, very full. You can kind of tell in the crowd how they have all this black kind of around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks like probably watercolor on top of that, uh, which has this really nice effect. And it translates to black and white exceptionally well. Yeah, I but mean... I guess that's what you have to do when you're doing like crowd scenes and things like that. Yeah, it's such a big thing. I mean, um, we're sort of in a period of transition right now in these comics. And like by the time we get to the magazine, that'll be in full color. But mm. at this point, even in like the late 80s, even in the late 80s, like they're still like like the majority of 2000 AD is just black and white. Like they don't have like they, they have like five or like six color pages per issue or something like that. Um, it, it's kind of interesting, you know, or it's sort of <laughs> the – Publishers being cheap and sort of like, you know. Well, this, uh, it looks like there's a lot of content that needs to be made. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Got to kind of kind of keep <laughs> costs down some way. So like the paper is kind of low quality and it's always black and white. You know, that's how it goes. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, Slim's goons tries to brush Iceman off, but they eventually get to negotiating. There's a winner. There's a winner in the sumo fight and Iceman leaves as and then Mr. Slim tells one of his goons to check on Iceman's references and two more to follow him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not you should have given up after he said his name was Iceman. You don't go and like try to mess with a dude named Iceman. You can't just. <laughs> You, gotta, you don't just wake up with that title. You well, yeah, gotta, yeah, uh, presumably, but they got to make a, make them earn it the hard way, you know. Right. Um, yes. We then see Iceman rolling down the street, and you'll notice that these cars have British style right hand steering wheels, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to um, left hand ones uh, in, in the states. But as he's right. driving, he gets pulled over by Judge Dredd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dredd pats then- ice. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and then the two guys following him are like, oh, let's let's back off. Looks like uh, the cops got him and they yeah. moved to the side. And I did want to add that Iceman seems to be in what I feel is a future Cadillac. Definitely. I don't know. I just want to add to his style points. Uh, I know that you can't see it, but just imagine a really baller Cadillac. And then, yeah, yeah. with license plate S fly one. Nice. That's <laughs> uh, the key. <laughs> I think that's – are they going for Superfly with that one? Very much. Is it could, they, it's, it's pretty – yeah, be. definitely a reference to that. I think that seems pretty clear. Um, so uh, Dread pats Iceman down, but it turns out that Iceman's actually working undercover and Dread checking in on him. He writes a ticket as Iceman rolls off and we learn that he's a member of the Wally Squad, which, which we heard of before the course of Judge Dread, who are these deep cover, plains clothes judges, basically. They don't wear the uniform and stuff. They sort of blend in with the crowd and sort of do undercover stuff. 
He's later chilling his chilling in his apartment, like like I should, when he gets a warning from Dread, and then three goons burst in and shoot up his bed. Iceman dodges out of the way and shoots the goons a couple times and sends them running back to their boss. He also takes out the guy trying to climb into the to the uh through the fire escape. Like, yeah, get out of here. Right. Yeah, and it's always uh tough because that's why you gotta make sure you pick quality goons. Don't just kick the door open and just shoot at, you know, a bed that you perceive a person to be in. Like, you got to do more. Hey, let's look around. You shoot the bed. I'll go check stuff. But don't just all three of you just open fire on a bed. That's wasting bullets, wasting time, because the guy named Ice is behind you. He was there the whole time. Yeah. You know, classic goon troubles. You make a uh, you make a strong point, Eli, although I'm sad to say that um when it comes to goons in Mega City One, uh you get it's mostly it's mostly quantity, not quality mm. in terms of the level of goon in the city. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I like the the one of the goons is wearing a type of visor, kind of remnant of either uh Star Trek or Cyclops from X Men. Yeah, yeah. That uh, uh so that visor with the line in the middle. It. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so he 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 sends them back to their boss and soon gets a call the deal is on come to the basho tonight with the money right. which is fun I, I i always love dealing with criminals it's one of the few professions where you can try to make a deal they can come try to kill you you shoot them then you get a call that says you know what you're all right yeah well, exactly the deal's on <laughs> Usually that would be a deal breaker, but whatever. Listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust a man that didn't try to kill me a little, Eli. You're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so uh, Iceman wonders how Slim's going to get 500 kilograms of drugs to this um, event. And then we cut to a TV commercial basically saying that the Hondo City Sumo Squad and Hondo City is, is what they call Japan in the future of Mega City 1. Um, <laughs> so – the Hondo City Sumo Squad is coming to Mega City One for Grand Basho purposes, sponsored by an anonymous su- uh, sumo fan. All right, I think we see what's, get- what's going on here. Uh, right. <laughs> Iceman radios Dread to check the team, and we soon see the judges giving them the once over at customs, but find no Shanghai Express. Right. I do like uh, the very last panel. There's um, uh, one, two, three, you can see about five officers there. Yeah. There, there is one. Just looking in the guy's trousers. The sumo's just there with his robe open, and the guy's just one finger in the trousers, pulling it out. Just taking a gander. Yeah. I like that guy. He's my favorite out of this panel. I mean, we've had some really invasive customs procedures in the past of uh, Judge Dredd that were just like real, real crazy. (laughs) There was one time there was a lady that was smuggling like a puma in, and she was trying to wear it as like a fur coat and like came (laughs) came awake partway through the. Partway through the story and stuff was crazy. Okay. All right. So that's, that's why he's going with the one finger. I don't want to lose a finger with whatever's in here. Let's just, you know, you, cool. yeah, you kind of, you know, you, uh, you got to be curious, but you got to be careful. You know, that's right. how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, oh, man. So a uh, dread theorizes that the drugs could be inside the sumos. But if they, uh, if, if they do internal stuff, if they find something, they're going to have to arrest them. And, uh, and an Iceman wants to take down Slim, so he says, J- "Just let him go." Right. Yeah, we'll deal with this the other way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so at the Basho, <laughs> Iceman asks. We sort of see the Hondo City guys um, introduced, and Iceman asks Slim for the merchandise, and they go to the back as Dread breaks in from the back of the stadium and sort of starts creeping through the hallways and stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I did think it was fun. Um, 
because I like that they're not doing a lot of hand-holding. They said, hey, we got these drugs. We coincidentally have these sumo wrestlers. We think it's inside them, uh, but let's be chill about it. And then I like that they like, hey, we got these sumos. They're going to take a break. Just give them a moment. Yeah. They're just going to go in this back room, do some non-illegal stuff, and we'll see what comes of it. Yeah, and chill out. As, yeah, as the reader, <laughs> you know exactly what's going on without them really doing a lot of uh, hand-holding, which I appreciate. Definitely. Uh, yeah, Ice is like, where's the drugs? He's like, don't worry about it. Just give me a second while these sumo wrestlers <laughs> oh, come to the go back. to this back room with yeah. no one noticing. <laughs> it's fine. So Dredd's creeping through the hallways. Ice may take in a locker room and we see some sumos in there and they sort of like open their mouths up wide and they start to expel these massive chains of bag drugs from inside their mouth. Like just these rows of, of, of drugged up sausages being pulled out of their, st- out of their faces, basically. It's, yes. it's kind of gross. Not going to lie right. to you. I wonder if that's an ability that fatties must have in order to ingest that much. Maybe Definitely. You know, like there's some weird stuff with what um like fat from what fatties are able to ingest in Mega City One. There was one time where there were food shortages, but they were having a big tournament of the fatties, and it was just like, all right. We have we have these two teams of twenty of of, of twenty fatties, so they've got it, and they're each going to eat an RV. <laughs> they were just like ripping wall panels off and eating the tires and stuff like that. It was pretty crazy. Okay, so this is low level stuff then. They're yeah. having uh, two thousand drug sausages yeah. you is like a, just a typical Tuesday days like work whatever. Right. <laughs> get it get it in there, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dread moves in to arrest these guys and sort of the sumos attack Dread and Iceman punches Slim in the face to knock him out before he can shoot Dread. It's pretty awesome. Then we just get some good fighting action here. Dread pulls a fire hose and blasts all the sumos away and stuff like that. And soon that's all we all she wrote. The judges are clearing out the evidence. They're pulling just tons of these drug bags out of these sumos mouths. And I guess that's why they call it. All in sumo. Oh, right, right. <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, you know that everyone around him just doesn't want him around because of the puns. Oh, that's makes. that's dread, buddy. That's dread's move. Like, okay, he'll, all right, perfect. He'll make that's, these puns. That must be why he's on the edge. Absolutely. <laughs> that's this kind of a part of the job is you have to come up with those puns. That's on what the makes fly. him. A, that's what makes him a senior judge. He's got that pun experience, you know. <laughs> I hope they do put that on the resume. Oh, I'm hey, sure. I've got this many busts. I've made this many puns. I pun at a first rate. I, I'm an S level punster, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and how many people laughed? Oh, no, zero people. All right, then you're in. Yeah, that's the key. So Iceman <laughs> escapes into the night. It's implied that because he pun- that uh, Slim, because he punched him, that that could break his cover. That they're going to do some brain surgery to remove that, to remove part of his memory from that, which seems is, is, is kind of sinister. Um <laughs> And the American sumos win the day by default. Nice. <laughs> We've got a fight. Yeah. And this story ends with a typo, which says that if you're looking for a top sumo squad, check ISO block 35 in the year 2020, and it should be 2120. Although, mm. you know, it's saying you'll find this sumo squad coming at you in 2020 in the year 2020 is kind of disturbing. <laughs> mm, right. Yes. I, I could see that. Um and also, on the note of the memory erasing, I'm sure it's a not that invasive of a surgery. You know, it's probably just like they wave a wand over your forehead. You wish. And type in some numbers. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I I would say don't give the Justice Department the, uh, the the benefit of the doubt on that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fair. 
And uh, and uh, speaking of um, of giving the ju- of the history of the Justice Department, <laughs> let's move on to uh, thrill two: an examination of the Mega City One Judge System. So this was comp- very good at that. Listen, I'm you know I got I got experience. <laughs> Get the after effects in later. It's good times. Um, this was was all written by a uh, sub editor droid uh, Mike Butcher. And after that huge 12-page sumo story, it's time to cool down with some filler sections here in, yes. the, in the special. Um, this, this section has some art by some classic Dread artists, including uh, Brandon McCarthy on the first page, and then uh, Brian Ball and Mike McMahon, and a bunch of other oh, – I think mostly just, just those two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drawn very scenes from the history of Mega City 1. Um, yeah. So this whole thing is a uh, it's a file from the Time Institute, and it's just got a rundown of the justice system in Mega City One. It opens with a big picture by Brendan McCarthy, and then it has a has a rundown. Um, Mega City One's a city of eight million of eight hundred million people, founded after the, the atomic wars of twenty seventy. Though half the city was destroyed in the apocalypse war of twenty of twenty one oh four, and I'll let you know that's currently twenty one eleven in Mega City One because yeah. the the years advance in real time basically. So oh. the year in Mega City One's always one hundred and twenty two years from the year it's being published in. So right now it's a uh, twenty one forty two. In Mega City One, as we're, we're recording this in uh, in, in uh, 2020, that's cool. But so it means that that stuff can happen. Like we've had, um, like uh, perps be put away for like five years, and then literally five years later, they've gotten out and like you know attacked Dread into or, or gotten stories again and things like that. That is really cool. And so, how often are these uh, sent out? How how often do you get an update? Uh, I mean, the uh, like. Right now we're reading a special, and mm-hmm. those sort of come out yearly. Like they kind of okay. like the the schedule is like around summer they put out both a a 2000 AD like and a Judge Dredd special, which is sort of like not like main. They're they're like a like annuals here in the states actually, where it's sort of like here's mm. something extra for a kid to read, like in the car going to the beach or something like that. You know, nice. that's sort of an, that's cool. Actually, yeah, buy. So. And, then, and then at the end of the year, they have they have actual annuals, which are these hardcover, like much longer things that have a lot of like extra things, and those are often given as Christmas gifts to uh, to kids. That's that's awesome. So it sounds like a uh, every year you get this uh, uh, amount of content that is this is three months in the Dread universe that happened during what kind uh, of like there's the there's sort of there's some accordioning of time. Like, okay. because right. sometimes you'll have like a big epic story and mm-hmm. it'll take like six months of comics, but maybe be like a week for Dread's time or something okay. like that. Nice. And then nice. they'll sort of be like, you know, and then you can just sort of like stuff's happening in between there. But like, you know, it not all like the, the comics don't purport to cover Dread's, Dread's life in real time. Right. They're just yeah. like, it's just like all the, all that time moving stuff is very general like it's never right. like you know week to week this is a week in, it, it, it's not like right. a new 52 or something like that where right. every but week feel, is, like, is a, is a like real time week though. yeah right. it's just sort of it means that it's just sort of creeping forward instead yeah. of like being like a uh, like a metronome or something I like that though yeah the one thing that always bothered me about a lot of um, uh, western comics is that n- the time never passes yeah it, exactly it's, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's characters have been around for the last fifty years, 
they they're still teenagers. Like, right? Uh, why? Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's been in their early twenties for the last fifty <laughs> years or something. That's definitely. I mean, dread kind of can move around a little bit, but a lot of times it'll be because like he had some crazy adventure and then they got like rejuvenated or something like that. You know, that's sort of right. something that that's in the cards. But they kind of talk about it. And you do get a lot of occasionally, like uh, you know, like like you're an old man, dread. You've been on the street for six for sixty years or something like right. that. You know, really, that's cool. I like that. Um, and that's why, like, you know, in, in the current day, he's literally, he's literally been on the street for like, or he's, he's literally been on the street for 40 years that we've seen. And then right. like a bunch of years before that, you know, so it's like, you know, he's, he's got this, like, they, 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 they sort of account for that time a little bit, at least. Right. That's good. What is it? Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to wait because I want to talk about this art. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're in the middle of going through all, uh, the narrative. So I feel like that should pre- precede. Oh, sure. Yeah. Anytime you want to, sure. But yeah, so we learned that like it takes 15 years to train a judge. It goes from age five to age 20. In theory, they're tough and incorruptible and empowered to instantly sentence criminals as needed. <laughs> oh, I get that. That's where the judge comes in. Indeed. Yeah, they're judge, jury, and executioner as needed. Although <laughs> very like when you say executioner, that makes it sound like they do a lot of just like shooting people on the street, which doesn't happen mm. as much as you might think. It's very right. much just more like dread can kind of look at you and say like you're in the you're going to the ISO cubes for five years or something like that. That's much more how right. it goes. Right. I think it's because uh, they're such good judges, you know. Oh yeah, and jury. So you know. Uh, it would be a bad judge jury if every sentence was death. They Absolutely. Mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we've definitely seen people do that and dread and other people have, have had to take them out because they become like, you know, rogue judges. Um, so, yeah, the, awesome. yeah, the department's led by the chief judge and assisted by the council of five. Uh, the first chief judge was Judge Fargo and his assist and his successor, Judge Goodman, was the first appointed to fair to fully rule Mega City One as like its chief executive. Um, we then start talking about Judge Joe Dredd, the toughest of the judges, cloned from the first Chief Judge Fargo, along with his brother Rico Dredd, who was who went evil and had to go to judge jail for a while. Um, he's known for a straight character and has earned the nickname Old Stony Face. Oh, well, that's a flattering name. I like that. They call him that as a kid. So, what do you want to talk about with the art here? Let's. Uh... Yeah. Um, yeah, I like. Um, you can tell that this character is well loved and that it's had a lot of artists who are consistent on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times as an artist, you say that if you want to get your characters right, draw them a hundred times and mm-hmm. you'll kind of start finding shortcuts and ways that you like to do certain things. And each one of these pieces, you can kind of tell that this is not their first time drawing uh, <laughs> Judge uh, Judge uh, Red. Um, you also get to see a lot of their different strong suits. It looks like most, of course, it's all most of it's ink, which is, you know, mm-hmm. that's the economic way you want to do it. Uh, you can tell some people like uh, this one on the top. It uh, they kind of focus on the background. You can see a lot of oh, and this uh, Mac- blacks in, 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 cool. in the McCarthy image. Yeah, the the ba- yeah. which is basic dread. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, which is always nice because you know it's as an artist, it's always a pain having to draw. You know, like that one bush in the back. Yeah, those those five people standing there not right. doing anything, you know uh, you, you it's so easy to just stick to the action you know, just this character look at that cool gun look at this armor all right we're yeah. done leave the rest white but to go through the trouble of all right and this is f- building 5z that's paul in the back there talking to sarah you know uh all that is uh you know very lovingly crafted uh so th- this spe- piece is uh very strong it, sh- it shows a lot of 
a detail. I don't know that gun, but I definitely no. don't want to have it pointed at me. Yeah, it's that's just kind of a fancy, fancy future gun. It's not even like, like a main one in Dred's arsenal. It's just kind of like, <laughs> all right, like here's just a cool thing for the back, you know? Right. Yeah. And yeah, that, that was really nice. And then see, down here uh, on the next piece, you get, uh, there's a lot more uh, cross-hatching line work. Yeah, I, uh, I believe this is uh, Brian Bolland who drew this one, this, this Dread, Dread on a Lawmaster. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can see a lot of cross-hatching, uh, a lot of the line work. They're focusing more on the shadows and the light sources mm-hmm. and how uh, the metal is affected by those things. So this is also a very strong piece. I mean, all of them are strong, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, what is it? I'm trying to figure out because the first one is um, uh, very comic very black and white um there mm-hmm. aren't a lot of cross hatching you might get some on the pants but i think that's just more for a yeah. textured effect well i believe all like as i recall i think this one was originally in color the uh the, the mm-hmm. mccarthy picture like Ooh, i think I or at least color fairly well th- there's a color version of it i believe that was published in the comic so it might have less cross hatching right. just because it was like like color right like, it was later colored in to kind of you know carry that weight i think oh yeah yeah i could definitely see that yeah this is this would be great to color um, because it doesn't have those cross hatching, but you can create more depth using colors rather than the lines. Mm-hmm. Well, the the next one they have cross hatching to kind of show gradients and things like this. And, you know, this would still take color very well too because it has those black areas, those white areas. It has that contrast. Yeah, and you can even see like on the chest that they are you know uh, conveying that uh, that texture, that material of the armor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that's also really nice. And I, I'm not. It looks like the, there's uh, some guns on the side of this. Is this? Yeah. Uh, Judge Dredd's uh, main. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is. His, yeah, it's it's a law. It's called a lawmaster. The the bike mm-hmm. and yeah, like I mean, people draw it different ways, but generally it's got guns on the side and a big central laser in the middle, um, <laughs> kind of a eagle motif in the middle of it. Like the t- the, the the tires are very wide. Right. Um. That that that's a big defining characteristic of it. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And just yeah, general side. So this, so so this takes us to Judge Dredd's greatest missions. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I can see it. I'm lear- already learning a lot just from reading these. Yeah, and these are all. This is all recap of store of like the big like uh, epics that have appeared in the comics. So these are all just sort of like like yeah like a uh, quick versions of those comics. Right. So uh, the robot wars, the cursed Earth. Yes. Uh, the day the law died, man. Yeah, the day the like so. Yeah, the, first it was the cursed Earth where the robots rose up, and that was very early. That was like Prague eleven, to, like like issue eleven to eighteen, basically, very much in the early days of um of of Judge Dredd. Then later in like the seventies or so, you got the cursed Earth, which was this massive trek across the continental United States to Mega City Two, which is on the west coast. Hmm. Um, and that I always say that um, that uh, the cursed Earth is where sort of the what Judge Dredd was going to look like was really solidified. Like that's when you had sort of two artists drawing the drawing the character consistently. And I mm-hmm. think between the two of them, uh, Mick McMahon and Brian Ballin, they really um, basically like sort of figure out the model sheet for Dredd essentially, or what you kind of right. want the character to look like for the yeah, next couple I, of years. I, yeah, I've done a little bit of work doing collaboration with other artists and that is very hard to do to create a consistent look design yeah. uh so that is cool uh, how long was the cur- uh, curse Ur- earth about section? it was about like 24 issues like about half a oh, year yeah. or so 
No, and man. then so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said as you want to draw your character about a hundred times to really get him right. So exactly. that sounds like they yeah. got it. <laughs> <laughs> and then that went directly into the day the law died, which was when um, mm. the evil deputy chief judge Cal killed the uh, the or yeah had the chief judge killed and then took his place um, and ruled the city like a uh, as an evil tyrant. And there's a little bit more about that in a later story um, later in this issue. Right. So um, would you say the Curse Earth is where a lot of the world building came in? Or yeah. would you say that happened just with Robot Wars, that kind Ooh, of it's, it? I'd say actually a lot of like it, – it depends on what you mean, I guess. There was a lot of mm. world building in the Cursed Earth. But mm. honestly, I think a lot of like the – like I sort of you know get pretentious and talk about the city of Mega City 1 being a character mm. in the story sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah. And that we'll happened – that happens honestly less in the epics and more just sort of in like the week-to-week stories, like like the monster of the week kind of stories because that's when they'll have stuff like, hey, let's talk about like the city blocks where all the uh, all the people of Mega City 1 live or let's like take a look at this kind of crime that like is possible in the future of Mega City 1 or something like that. Right. Yeah. I think that's uh, just good storytelling if your locations actually have character to them. Because uh, yeah, it, it um, I feel like good narrative comes from life, you know. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, and when you go through your life, you have places that have characters to them. Like right. that's that's how it should be. So yeah, I, I don't I, saying I don't think you're pretentious for thinking that. I'd oh, say, you know, I hear people I, make fun of like like that's an often joke thing. Like oh yes, the city itself is the character. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's a trope, yeah, yeah. but I think it's legitimate. Yeah, it's it, it's got ups and downs for sure. Um, so <laughs> after the after uh, the day the law died, there was the quest for the judge child, who was this kid spoken of in prophecy, and oh. let and that's a picture of him on the next page. This big kid, he's got like an eagle uh, birthmark on his forehead, basically. Oh yeah. And so the quest for the judge child led led Dread and uh, new and uh, partner Judge Hershey on this quest across the galaxy, like like through through on a spaceship, two different planets and stuff. Um, <laughs> okay, so if that if the first two gave you world building, this was galaxy building. This exactly. Is- <laughs> yeah, and so nice. they didn't stop there. Yeah, and it ended with um, Dread. F- uh, realizing that actually the judge child was evil. And so mm-hmm. he ended up, um, like basically not bringing him back to Mega City One, instead just sort of ditching him, leaving him a hostage of this, uh, robot king called the Grunwalder. Mm, this, I'm, I'm sensing some vibes of self fulfilling prophecies. Indeed. Uh, well, also, <laughs> I, I should say also the, uh, they were seeking the judge child because of a disaster that would come in, uh, the year 2120. And so with that um with the uh with the num with the year conventions of uh Judge Dredd, it means that that was a problem that they just might hear something about in um mm-hmm. whatever the math yeah in the year 1998 so you know that's something for us to leak for us and my and my uh, and my partner on space spinner to keep an eye out for someday <laughs> um so after um the judge child we, we, we went to the apocalypse war which was a story very much of its time of 1982 which is when sort of this uh this the these soviet judges like they're still judges but they're also soviets in uh, east <laughs> meg one um launched a massive strike and, att- and attacked uh, mega city one they blew up like the southern half of it basically and just had oh. this massive battle and yeah, part and part of it was presaged by this thing called block wars, where they basically poisoned the water supply to make everybody fight amongst themselves and stuff. Mm. 
It's kind of a whole thing. Yeah. So it, it, it was is that fiction or are they just taking a a note out of uh, well we don't need to get into real world stuff. Let's I mean focus on it. I yeah I think it was very much like 1980 like you know they they're sort of putting this together in like 81 82 and I think mm. there was sort of this you know increased paranoia of nuclear right. war and so they were kind of being like okay let's like see if we can't harness this and tell a story about like a nuclear yeah. war in in Mega yeah. City one you know it's what it's what science fiction lets you do you know yeah and also I know that um uh the creative uh mind tends to take uh you know negative things and turn them into their narrative. You can see when people are struggling or oppressed or poor or doing going through whatever the conflict might be. You see a very large spike in uh, uh, art, literature, narratives. People just want to tell more stories. You see a lot more creative things happening during those times. Yeah, definitely. People being worried about things and stuff. I'm going to continue on here, although I think in the actual uh, special, the uh, Birdman story happens in be- in the middle of this his- of this history thing. But let's just finish it up. Okay. Um, then we go to uh, the the city of the damned, which was basically they knew there's going to be this calamity in 2120. So um, Dread and Cy Judge Anderson went in a time machine and traveled to the year 2120 to see what was going on. And uh, it turned out that the judge child actually did come back. He turned into his hyper, uh, an incredibly powerful psychic called the Mutant and had like taken over the city, killed almost everybody in there. He turned all the judges into vampires and there was full of zombies and other things like that. It was a real, real rough. Right. Now, uh, whenever you go with time travel, there's some, some issues show up. Did they, I, I didn't see it, but how they do time travel, did it? Did it well, all this work was out well? this was traveling to the future, so there was kind of less okay. paradox things. Okay, although they did then um, once they got back to the present and saw what happened, they then went to the Grunwalder's palace and killed um, the Judge Child before he could do anything. Mm-hmm. That's good, yeah. Or they nuked it, I guess. But yeah, they, they <laughs> took it out. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That that seems like the appropriate response. Yeah, I will <laughs> say though there is a fair amount of time travel in um into in like these in this world of Judge Shred. He doesn't actually do it, but there's like associated characters that do and storylines that do and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the basic ethos is like, don't worry about it. I guess. <laughs> Like in Judge Dredd's timeline, there's a story called Flesh. Like it's in the same, like it takes place in like the, the 23rd century or something like that. And in this story, basically in the far future, like there's so much pollution and other stuff that like all the animals have died, but mm. people still want to eat meat. And so mm. to get that meat, they send cowboys back to the Jurassic period to like rope and ranch um and like do cattle drives of dinosaurs which they then <laughs> slaughter for their meat and send to the future wow huh. and so it does, it's and it doesn't uh, cause trouble in the future when they don't have meat because it got eaten in the past let's just, like the, their big concern is less butterfly effects and more they're taking so much meat that now the carnivore dinosaurs are starting to get so hungry that they're starting to organize and things like that, that. <laughs> that's fun i like that <laughs> like it's not that's like but like yeah so basically like the regular time travel stuff like geez, they don't really worry about paradoxes and stuff like that that much nice. i like um, that there's another way to do it yeah there's another character named johnny alpha who's got a bunch of time weaponry which is basically he'll throw a grenade at you. It's like a time grenade. And what it does is it sends you um, like t- like half an hour into the future, 
but hmm. it doesn't move you in space. So you come back into where you are 30 minutes in the future. But by then, like the, the planet you're on has moved away from where you were. So it basically, it basically warps you into deep space and you right. sort of like instantly die in the vacuum, you know? That's nice. I like that. I, I appreciate them taking the actual <laughs> – uh, the fabric of time space in a macro sense. Yeah. And, like they, <laughs> you know, like they, they, they definitely have those kind of time machines that also imply teleportation, but they don't have to have them. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. I like that. So I think that's the city of the damned. Yeah. And then the final most recent big epic was, is called uh, Oz, which is basically mm. about this guy, uh, Marlon Shakespeare, a.k.a. Chopper, who was a a sky surfer like a he surfs on a on a hover surfboard and he was arrested by Dre- like first he 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 was a a graffiti a graffiti artist and dreaded arrested him and he was in prison for like three or four like four real years like he kind of like was arrested in 80 in like 81 and got out in 84 or something like that um <laughs> And then he, he won this big sky surfing race in Mega City 1 called uh, Super Surf 7. And then when they had Super Surf 10, he like escaped from prison and hoverboarded all the way from uh, Mega City 1 to Australia and like competed in this big race and like Dredd was chasing after him and stuff. But at the same time, there was a breakaway civilization of judge clones also in Australia that uh, Dredd was fighting. So there's a lot going on in that one. Mm, I see. That's fun. And it kind of ended with um with Chopper uh coming in second in the race. He didn't win, but Aww, he managed Yeah, and he managed to escape into the radback, the radioactive outback of Australia and Dread like mm-hmm. kind of couldn't stop him. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, we'll see more of Chopper later on. So okay. So that's sort of just some general like dread history. I'm glad we kind of spent some time on it just because it is sort of this big like Th- those are sort of dreads like like the the they, they're called the mega epics of Judge Dread like his like you know all those stories we just talked about are these big like often six month long stories um, that's you know twenty twenty four twenty six issue stories that are sort of these big like you know uh, signposts or tent poles in 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 the life of Dread right there. They all sound really awesome. I can't wait to go back and uh, check yeah, them out. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll, – I'll hook you up with some stuff. I'm going to definitely try to take a look at some things, definitely. So let's go to slightly less epi- – or sli- slightly more episodic tales <laughs> with Thrill 3 Birdman. <laughs> it's not an attorney. Uh, script about John Wagner, yeah. art about Mick Austin, letter about Tom Frame. So we see the outer wall of Mega City One as a sandstorm blows up, and a and a winged man tries to enter the city under its cover, but it's quickly spotted. The bird man is on the wing. Um, spot. And you said, um, yeah, and you said that these usually are black and white. I see yes. some color here. Well, yeah, like so. Usually, what it is is like the center spread of the comic will have color. So, like nice. this one story has color in the uh, in a special. And it's very nice. much a sort of like they had these 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 pages for color and sort nice. of you know that and that's sort of all she wrote basically. That's cool. I like that. And and that's very much how it is in in 2000 AD right now. Like sort of it's like 36 pages long. There'll be like six, like maybe eight eight color pages. Two of them will be ads, and then six of them will be like a like the uh, the big story, like like usually Judge Dredd or something, or like a a, a big prestige story that, that they want to do in color, and then the rest of it will be in black and white. I see. Yeah, I found this one interesting because it definitely seemed to be a um, 
maybe I don't know uh, Birdman. He's uh, not a he, he's not a reoccurring character or anything like that. I think he's just sort of a, okay. a mutant yeah. from the cursed earth that sort of sh- showed up. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this one's done a lot more in brush. They use a lot more silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like there's a kind of a watercolor wash on everything. But actually, I don't actually see a lot of straight lines. It looks like all this could have been done. Uh, the panels probably used a ruler, but mm-hmm. everything else, I could see this just being a, a brushwork and uh, and inks. Nice. Yeah, definitely, it, it communicates really well. Yeah. So we see searchlights going up all through the city. The Birdman spotted. Dreads there, of course, to shoot it through the wing. The Beast continues on, hiding through a rooftop, and we sort of see, hear its thoughts. It remembers the last time it was in Mega City 1, and it attacked a lady and still remembered her. Dread remembers this too, and is headed to that lady, Hildemar Brun, in the Fulton Building. There, Hildemar is uh, seemingly still freaked out by her encounter with the Birdman as being – oh, sorry, and, and is complaining about it to her boyfriend or husband or something like that. Right. <laughs> when suddenly she looks out the window and sees the Birdman! <laughs> I love the boyfriend's um, uh, consoling, you know. Uh, it's very uh, – I'll rip his beak off and shove it up his whatever. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give him. I'll get his giblets on a skewer. <laughs> right. Uh, do the. Uh, were we able to deduce how long ago this encounter was? It doesn't. See, it seems like it might have been. It doesn't. I feel like it has to have been recent. It seems For her to very just now recent. Be talking yeah, to a boyfriend she, about it. Yeah, because <laughs> she's still remembering it, and dread, and it's fresh on dread's mind, and he must deal right. with hundreds of cases a day. So it's sort of like you know something right. that would. Still yeah, be up there. I'm glad. I, w- I was hoping it wasn't one of those things where it's been a year and she no. just now is starting to feel it again. Like, hey, you know what? We never addressed that whole me being kidnapped <laughs> by a bird person thing. No, I think uh, it's it's new. This is. I mean, this isn't a. This isn't a. Conti- or it's not a story that's continued from anywhere. This one's self-contained, right, right. If, I, as far as I know. Um, hmm. The burst man. The bird man bursts through the window, knocks this fella out immediately. He's like, "Hold it there, bird man!" You're. And then she just he just whaps him with his wings, basically. Right. Um, right. They come in handy. And um, he grabs Hildemar, tells her in broken English to come with him, and he's carrying her off when Dread arrives on the scene and gives chase. Um, right. the, the bird man's flying off, but he can't make much distance between his injured wing and the surprisingly heavy Hildemar. <laughs> Like, right. I thought yeah, she'd I'm be sure so she, light. Right. I'm sure she's not excited about that part. I, uh, I feel like that's not cool. But also, she's probably not helping him actually fly off with her, you know? Right, like, right. All dead weight. Uh, the, I did definitely like the um, the angles used on this particular panel. It's very mm-hmm. easy to kind of fall into a, you know, um, uh, a particular angle when doing portraits of people's faces. Mm-hmm. But you can tell when uh, Dredge is on the phone. It's kind of uh, under his chin. You can kind of uh, yeah. uh, see it. And even on the uh, Birdman, it's kind of behind him a little bit lower down. Kind of trying to set the scene a little bit better to have some force right. perspective on it. Yeah, and kind of give um, you like, like a sense of height, I think. It's like right, kind of exactly. up on this like uh, skyway kind of. Yeah, and it is rough. Uh, Birdman, no clothes. you know. So that's also probably uh, at least a ticket or yeah, something. definitely. Uh, you don't want that. Got that cursed earth butt out there. Absolutely. <laughs> right. <laughs> he la- so the Birdman lands and Dreads confronts him. Dreads like, let the woman go. You can leave the city safely. The Birdman <laughs> refuses, but Hildemar has other ideas and stomps his knee and punches him in the nose. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I do feel bad for Birdman during this part because he's very uh, – 
hey, you, hey, leave. Let her go. We'll let you leave. And he's like, no, nah, let's just die together. You know, that's the way it should be. But he's so he's a romantic at heart. You know, yeah, he just, he just read too many of that old school romance where, you know, too much Twilight. Yeah, and I say he just I, doesn't understand how really real relationships are supposed to work. Yeah. I got to agree with Hildemar, though. Like, I'm not uh, good doing a suicide pact. Some cursed right. I just met, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you, you volunteer for that stuff. You don't just, you know, get demanded into it. Absolutely. So the Birdman yeah. tries to escape, but Dredd hits him with an incendiary bullet. His Dredd's gun fires a bunch of different kinds of bullets. Just 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 FYI. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and the Birdman falls to the plaza below. Deal, and the Hildebar's like, "But you said he'd, he'd you let him go." And apparently, deals with lawbreakers don't count. <laughs> right, everybody knows that. Yeah, come on. Uh, 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 had my fingers crossed and everything. You absolutely. <laughs> right, back. Blackjack, no take backs. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I like that he has this elementary school level of um, fairness. Like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Birdman goes to the ISO cubes and Dredd says uh, anybody that mentions doing Bird is on report, which I guess is a UK slang term for serving a prison prison sentence. Mm, Nice. It's like whatever British only joke. They don't want us to let – they don't want to let us into it, you know? Right. That's right. We'll get there. We'll find the secrets. It's fine. Listen, I I always find like – Learning this British stuff is like uh, – it's like moving where just every every time you think you've got everything in boxes, you suddenly open a drawer and there's a thousand more things to put away. It's like, oh, this never ends. Right. Nice. Uh, sorry. Before, uh, I did yeah. want to add some more notes on the thinking of this. Yeah. Um, like you could see the shot of um, Dredd shooting that incendiary bully da- bullet down at the wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I <laughs> noticed just the way – the texture on the clothes are, you can kind of see mm-hmm. this cross hatching, uh, very detailed, very painstakingly done to get these desired effects. I just wanted, I just felt that part, uh, the, wait, yeah, that, it, who's the uh, artist may, on this one? Uh, Mick Austin. Yeah. It yes, makes it look he, like he's wearing clothes, I guess, which right, is sort of yes. something that I think some, like, especially like a superhero artist can kind of miss out sometimes where it's right. more sort of like yes, naked exactly. people with designs on them or something like that as opposed so to actually wearing I clothes. take my hat off, you definitely deserve more credit for that. That's uh, uh, dynamite work. Um, <laughs> Excellent. And also... I, like the uh, color palette as well. You can see, see throughout there's a lot of yellow seems to be the main one. But mm-hmm. then you have these bursts of blues and pinks and purples. Uh, yeah. The contrast with it very well. It's so got a very kind of like uh, like a late afternoon kind of feel to it. Right. Exactly. And then, and then kind of going into night in the final panels, which are kind of light blue and purple and things like like yeah. maybe like the sun, the sun setting or something like that. Right. Yeah. So all very intentional and communicate very well. Excellent. So I guess, um, hey, speaking of uh, damsels not quite in distress, unlike Hildemar, let's go <laughs> to 304, Judge Hershey. I love that name, Judge Hershey. Uh, I, you know, of course, I just go chocolate. Sure. But uh, after reading it, I found out she isn't as sweet. You know, she, no, she she's gets the job done. Right? She's hard she's, as uh, nails, buddy. Like, listen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like that. Yeah, I'm a big Judge Hershey fan, um, definitely. Um, mm. So, script robot here is Alan Grant, the other main Dread writer. Art robot mm. uh, Doug Dougie Braithwaite and Dave Elliott. Uh, letting robot John Aldrich. Mm. So, right. and this one yeah. uh, seems to take a little bit more of a, a manga style approach, mm. which I found really interesting. You can see that the tones—they're not paint; these are actually screen tones that are added on here. 
Interesting. Which is, uh, originated in manga. So I definitely appreciated that. Cool. Yeah, this is the uh, the first solo appearance of Judge Hershey in in the in like 2080 history. Basically, um, we've seen her a bunch, sort of as sort of a sidekick to Dredd, or like a like a second judge working on things. Like we've definitely she was a big character in the Judge Child saga, and sort of shown up now and then um, as we, um, from time to time. She was on Dredd's like squad on the Apocalypse War that led the fight against like East Meg One and stuff like that. Um, and she's very much like Dredd's equal, I think. Like she's sort of definitely designed to be like almost a female Dredd kind of like sort of this real mm-hmm. tough lady that kicks people's asses and, you know, enforces <laughs> the law and stuff like that. Right. Even get some of those same uh, pun points. So Absolutely. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So she um, shows up in the Sylvester Stallone Dredd movie from 1996 where she was played by Diane <laughs> Lane. Uh, Diane Lane, and currently she's the youngest member of the Council of Five, the rulers of uh, of, of Mega City One. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, so we start out um, at the Grand Hall of Justice, where a trade agreement between the British adva- um, ambassador from Britsit, which is England in Mega City One's future, and the mm-hmm. Council of Five. You see, most of the cans of the Council arrive in this like ultra long, double wide limo kind of thing. Mm. Um, but but Hershey isn't there, and no one knows where she is. Meanwhile, Hershey, Hershey. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, one thing I wanted to note about this artist, um, uh, like the previous one, they use a lot of negative space. Mm-hmm. There was um, large, empty slots. They usually fill them with color, uh, but they were fine leaving them empty. You can tell that this artist has a much more cluttered art style. Every, there's things on top of things. There's yeah, crowds there's on top of crowds. Huge crowds everywhere, yeah. And right. big cityscapes um, and stuff. Yeah. The limos planted on top of two, three other frames. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So it's just like they, this uh, artist wants to make sure that every, all the space is used. We're not going to lose any information, uh, which I appreciate. But it is a yeah. nice contrast from some of the uh, previous artists. Yeah, I think this also gives everything a sense of like chaos that like being in a right. big crowd would be in and things like that as well. It's sort of yeah, giving definitely. you a sense of it because you just got a lot of like um, good random mega citizens as you, as you see people walking around. And stuff right. Like yeah. That as well. Even that camera in the foreground on the bottom panel. Uh, you know, they didn't need to put that there. They, you, uh. you could have you could have done without it, but they wanted that there to bounce up composition and to fill space. <laughs> I just I don't want to feel like an announcer. <laughs> and if you look at here, it was, uh, listen, like circle these things. Like you know, I think like this. I I really love it just because this is stuff that like I feel like I feel like I know what I like when I see it and stuff. But it is cool to kind of every once in a while to hear just to kind of get in depth of why things are working. Oh, why something works or something like that. Yeah, um, I'll keep doing it. All right. <laughs> so meanwhile, Hershey's walking through the Mega City One streets. She, she's got a hunch, but it doesn't seem to be planning out to be panning out. At least until a hover car comes hurtling right for her. Yes. It's got a force field that blocks her bullets. It does a strafing run of the Justice of Justice Central, and then comes around for another pass. But wasting no time. Hershey runs, leaps from the back of a Lawmaster bike onto the skids of this vehicle and pulls herself in because the force field's good against bullets, but not so good against people. Right. 
Yes. And uh, not for a pair of size five judge boots. Exactly. Yeah. She's kicking, she's <laughs> punching and kicking everybody all through right. the uh, the vehicle, all through this hover car and stuff like that. They, they got to get the shield for the judge boots. Everybody knows that. Absolutely. Listen, um, hurry to that. You know, they don't sell those off the, off the rack, you know? <laughs> uh, but you can see more screen tones throughout these pages. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a really nice shot on page 33 of like um, um uh, judge's face and they use a lot of tones to kind of add some depth to that one right as she's as she like. sees the uh the thing making an, a, for, a, another pass and stuff right and i did want to note that uh you can see in the crowd there's a lot of people with um uh, i love brits and like yay brit you know that type mm-hmm. of thing uh but when she's in the um, yeah the vehicle there's people wearing kill the brits and i hate brits hats <laughs> just <laughs> Like, I don't know how big your hatred needs to be to have that sentence just Look, on your forehead. You know, listen, but. you know, we're doing terrorism and I'll, and branding's very important for our terrorist group, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, like, oh, you're here for the terrorist group? Uh, I don't see any logo on you. Oh, I, I keep my hat in my back pocket. Okay, cool. How are we going to- I hate Brit hat. That's good. How are we going to move the merch if you don't wear it while we're killing the Brits, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I love the idea of uh, them wearing it in court, you know. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> will you the terrorist organization? Uh, no. Well, why do you have a shirt on that says kill the Brits? Uh, uh, it's a it's band, a, you it's know. A, it's a kill tea Brits? It means right. that we like kilts? <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're very committed to their cause. And they're willing to uh, make the merchandise for it. And I, I appreciate that. Oh, definitely. That's the, the key. kick to the head. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the vehicle's about to make a kamikaze run, but then just comes in for a safe landing because Anderson's – or because Hershey's just taking control of the thing and just lands every – and, and just lands safely. She gets out and just kind of like, all right, sorry I'm a little late. Let's get down to business. Right. Now that's an entrance. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so imagine what you have to do to uh, – so some type of weird device is coming at you. You jump off of a vehicle to get into the second vehicle, beat the crap out of the two people driving the vehicle, land the vehicle, start a meeting. Like that's it's good. Power <laughs> that's, move, you know, that's good office politics. <laughs> right. And I mean, you got to I'm trying to figure out because you just asked for promotion after that. Right. Like, I, I don't know how. I mean, she's already in the, to do. she's already on the council of five. Like the next job up is is chief judge, and that's you know, oh, okay. She's still a little oh, young okay. for that just yet. No, I guess I guess that's fine. And I guess her personality is all in a day's work. Like not, not like oh wow that was hard. Just like yeah you know just yeah. The only thing jump the, in kick a couple. And I don't know about that merchandise they were wearing. They, they tried to sell me a shirt. Whatever. It, the only thing, yeah, the only thing hard about this situation is the 30 hard years that he, she sentences the Brits to, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yes, she de- definitely uh, classy, uh, very capable, and yeah, even has that wit. Yeah. You know how- we'll see, yeah, we'll definitely see more of her she as the years go by. Um, she's sort yeah. of a big reoccurring to, uh, Judge Red character. I do want to give her more credit, though, because as I said, she had that pun. She's mm-hmm. kicking a, a terrorist in the head saying not for a pair of size five judge boots yeah um so i want to give credit for the pun but also she didn't feel the need to actually physically say it Ooh. she kept it in her head restraint she was like, okay, better part enough. of valor indeed right 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of uh, good ideas, let's go to Thrill 5 Democratic Bulletin and further reading. So just another kind of filler chat uh, section here, just some sort of some articles uh, recapping stories that have happened in the course of uh, Judge Dredd. Um, so basically, um, we, we uh, this Democratic Bulletin is a newsletter sent by pro-democracy forces inside Mega City One that Dredd's showing to uh, Chief Judge Silver. He's kind of sending it along. Like, check this out. Um, yeah. Something we've seen recently in Dread stories is a more of an emphasis on kind of the fascist underpinnings of the of the world of Judge Dredd, basically. Like how he and the Justice Department are harshly restricting the freedom of the people of Mega City One. And like we're sort of seeing the comic grow up, and part of that is telling stories where Dredd isn't a shining hero, but more either morally gray or sometimes even like just the villain of the piece, really. Right. Um, there's this one story, 1987, which is basically what this um, newsletter is about, which is when there was a massive pro-democracy rally, like a 60 million person march for to overthrow the judges and bring democracy to Mega City One. And Dredd was basically put in charge of disrupting that march through the use of slander, intimidation, like false flag, bad, bad actors, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, yeah, I guess that's the only way to do it. I mean, you know, I guess you need to re- to retain your fascist regime. Like you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so this article has a rundown of a lot of those techniques, like sort of, you know, how like uh, Morton Phillips was like sort of youth- these doctored photos to make him look like a, a, a sovsit collaborator and stuff like that. Things of that nature. Um, and then just sort of like how, um, you know, how the judges messes with them. We'll see a lot of sort of very we'll, – we'll, we'll, this is going to be a theme in some of the stories in the magazine, especially one big, really important early story. So it's good to kind of keep an eye out basically. Right. And, uh, you know, the struggle continues. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we go to um, – we go to um, uh, uh, just a page of further reading, which – is basically um, just the re- like what the basis of a lot of the of the written stuff in this um, special has. Um, so and, it's, and especially just just what what progs to find stuff that they talk about is you know. So there's some de- so there's stuff about democracy. There's sort of rundown parts of like Mega City One and um, the, the judicial system. There's a section that's basic dread, which is basically just all of the big um, mega epics that uh, dread's done. Right. And then um, the SJS report, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. And then a small ad for this 2080 sci-fi special as well, which we've already covered on the podcast. It's got to do that cross-branding. Yes. It's very important. Absolutely. And um, as we're talking about bringing characters back and actually characters sort of from the Judge Child saga, um, like, like Judge Hershey is, let's go to Thrill 6, Son of Ratty's Revenge. I think this one might have been my favorite. It's fun. Um, you know, it, in full color, pretty big. Um, uh, written by – script by Alan Grant, art by Kevin Walker, letter about Tom Frame. So in the garbage heaps of Mega City One, a figure emerges, a rat with a bowler hat who uh, <laughs> long-time readers will recognize as Ratty. Ratty was the rodent sidekick of the evil Fink Angel, a cursed earth bad guy that was gunning for Judge Dredd to avenge his dead brothers from the Judge Child quest. Um, 
This ratty's been following a smell for years and suddenly finds himself outside the Rowdy Yates Conapse, which is the home of Judge Dredd. That's where he lives. And Ooh, wow. It's named after uh, Rowdy Yates or, or a lot of like uh, the of the blocks, like like the city block skyscrapers in Mega City One are named after like fictional – like celebrities or fictional characters or something like that. In this case, mm-hmm. Rowdy Yates was Clint Eastwood's character on the TV show Rawhide. So it's sort oh, of a, nice. a reference to Clint Eastwood just to sort of a, a nod to the Clint Eastwood heritage – like, you know, basis that uh, Judge Dredd has. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, as far as um, just – uh, art. It oh, yeah. looks like um so it's we got a full color. Mm-hmm. It looks like they got they didn't prioritize lines. They're using some color to separate the foreground, background, and characters. Mm-hmm. It looks like they didn't completely abandon it in certain places, like on uh this uh mutant guy who's holding the rats. Looks like on some spaces they use lines. Mm-hmm. But like if you look at the rat, its fur is usually just colored and it doesn't have a line uh around it. Interesting. Which you know I appreciate. Um, I can't tell what material this is, though. I was going to say acrylic could be like this. This could be uh, several different materials. Um, just the way they're using it, they just make sure to use it detailed, uh, give things three levels of color. They have a base color, a highlight and then a shadow mm-hmm. uh, and um, just trying to manipulate the light and use that to create this depth, which, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, it comes out really nice. It's appreciated. Yeah, nice. Excellent. So, uh, we've learned Raddy's been, yeah, so that's a, yeah, well, well, catching up. Okay. So we, we, uh, <laughs> go to a recap. This is all stuff that happened in the comics in page, in, uh, in, uh, Prague 282, uh, to two, uh, 288, basically. Um, which is this evil fink angel in his bowler cap and, and loincloth with all these, uh, with like a slingshot full of like poison, like a lot of often spiked balls and stuff attacked, uh, Dredd and, and Hershey actually, um, and sort of like to avenge his brothers that Dredd or his, his, his brothers and father that are Dredd all killed in the course of mm. the, uh, of the Judge Child quest. Um, but when at, 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 at like it, at the climax, uh, Dredd, like grabbed Ratty and Ratty blocked the ball of deadly pison that Fink Angel was throwing and killed him. Oh. This then led to um, Dread taking out uh, Fink and Mean Machine Angel, who was there too. It's complicated. Um, and right. looks like it wasn't a easy death. It looks like this was a this was a gruesome move. Absolutely, yeah. It was it was it was bad times generally. Like I, I right. believe. Um, yeah, like like Fink went into some machinery. Uh, Meme Machine got knocked out. Ratty was killed by poison, and so Ratty's son took up his father's rat-sized bowler hat and swore revenge. He imagines that's, that's all you can do. Definitely, he imagines jumping out of the shadows and using his teeth to rip Judge Dredd's throat out. But Judge Dredd has a gun, and sadly, that's not a move that's going to happen. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, right. Dredd uh, shoots some shots at him and then sort of, remi- you know, gets on his bike, uh, reminding himself to call pest control, when suddenly he sits down, and oh, he sits down a giant rat poop by Ratty. Mm-hmm. Ratty's sh- shat on his bike seat. Oh, no. Right. And he's like, one up for dad. Uh, yeah, he's got the revenge. Yeah. It's just the beginning, though. I like this. So far, one of my favorite characters because he knows what he is. He yeah, knows what his plan is. He knows he's his, got a plan. Yeah, he's got. He knows his limitations and he can work around them. You know. Yes, exactly. 
um you'd think the bowler hat I, if i was i'd lose the bowler hat only because it's a little bit identifying you know you want to oh, i'm mm. just a normal rat don't mind me not that's like that a bowler hat rat again like you know it's that's his calling it's, card you know his dad wore that true. bowler hat so dread knows that he's getting that revenge is being done upon him <laughs> i i try to probably lose the bowler hat and then just mail uh you know a, a card uh, with a bowler hat on it every time I do something nefarious. Ooh. Then after Dredd sits down in the mail, he's like, oh, I got a message. And it's just a picture of a middle finger and then a card of a bowler hat. And then then, then you know, oh, no, oh yeah. got revenge. me again. Right. <laughs> Ratty! Shakes right. fist the sky. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I, like his, I like his style. I think, uh, I mean, I think he's going places. Yeah, oh, man, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't uh, get... Uh, killed you know sometimes i wrote root for the antagonist this is one of the few that i'm like yes you should succeed yeah i'm not sure if uh if a son of ratty comes back it's definitely something to keep an eye out for definitely this I, weird character yeah, I, yeah i'm also worried about that machine that um uh, the guy got thrown into it has looks like some type of giant spinning saw part there's a little hammer that says the word mash on it which seems like something you don't want to be thrown into you don't want to get thrown into anything that says yeah. the word mash. I forget the exact details of that story. I believe it made sense at the time. But yes, that is okay. quite dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that takes us to our second to last story or our, our last like sort of text section here. Thrill 7, the special judicial squad. So our final piece of new content here is a report on the SJS, it's, which is basically internal affairs in Mega City One, the Watchers of the Watchmen. This reports for Chief Silver's ju- eyes or Chief Judge Silver's eyes only. So don't tell nobody you saw it. All right, like right. keep it secret. Uh, well, lips are sealed. <laughs> Absolutely. So we get a brief history of the SJS and how it exists to judge the judges, but how it was then eventually taken over by the power mad dictator Judge Cal, who used. Used it to then take control of the city and rule as an insane, murderous tyrant, at one point naming his own goldfish as deputy chief judge. All right. Judge Fish. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I've seen weirder things in politics. Yeah, (laughs) kind of. Like, then he sort of was like, all right, so now we're just going to start going sector by sector through the city, killing everybody in alphabetical order. Aaron A. Aardvark, step forward and prepare to die, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's yeah. – right. I mean, that is a little it's much. It's bad, yeah. He, uh, <laughs> Cal rose to power by uh, using uh, uh, subliminal messages hidden in judge briefing tapes until Dread and a ragtag band of uh, judges and civilians were able to take Cal out. R.I.P. Fergie. Um the SJS was then rebuilt by future chief judge Hilda Magruder. She's uh, she she was the head of SJS. Then she became chief judge. Then she was forced to uh, to step down from office and take the long walk into the cursed earth to bring law to the lawless, which is sort of a uh, an honorable way of stepping down for judges. And, and, and instead of retiring, they they take the long walk. Um, That's nice. Yeah, and now the SJS continues to police the judges, most notably in the form of the random physical abuse tests, which is basically where they swoop in and kind of torture you for a day or so to make sure that the judges are on the straight and narrow. We've seen this happen to Dread. It was not a very fun experience. Uh, yeah, right. That seems like, doesn't sound like a cakewalk. No. Uh, and also the report ends by mentioning the SJS should still be monitored for corruption and loyalty. Even the Watchers of the Watchers – 
need watching. Mm, yes. <laughs> Makes you think. Right. I do like that. Uh, I like that that's a part of the job. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Hey, just so you know, uh, you get, uh, you know, paid leave yeah. and, you know, sick days, but also we might sneak up on you and torture you for a little bit. Absolutely. Listen, you will be watched, but rest assured, the people watching you will also be watched. So it, <laughs> right. out. it works out. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Everyone wins. Yeah. Everyone's watched. And this takes us to the end of the uh, of the special. Um, which just has a, a, a couple uh, character portraits by artist Cliff Robinson. Um, we've got uh, Chief Judge Silver. He's got this sweet scar and his cane and stuff like that. He's the current head of the Justice Department. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. yeah. All these are very well done. Uh, you get your cross hatching. You have your solid lines. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, hmm, I don't know if it had a different colorist, but uh, I mean, yeah, this it, coloring it comes really well. This coloring is really distinctive to mm-hmm. uh, to a Cliff Robinson, actually, because he really okay. – he always draws the judges' uniforms as being l- like this kind of light blue. Um, nice. And they're supposed to be black. Like most of the time, the judges are kind of black with a blue highlight, kind of like Superman's hair or something like that, mm-hmm. you know. Got it. Um, but Those he – kind of yeah, a but, tail. Yeah, but he kind of draws them with this kind of light blue. That's very consistent among his – through his artwork. Nice. Yeah, nice. So there's you – know, it all, it all does look very well. Yeah. yeah. Great understanding of anatomy, proportions, and angles, and lighting, really. Yeah, Cliff Robinson's great. He does a ton of, like, covers, actually. He's a big cover artist for 2018. He does a lot of these. Nice. these and yeah. these were all originally back covers of, of issues. They'd sort of be on the back page. Oh, nice. Just giving you a look at these characters and stuff. Yeah, so there's J- Judge Silver. We see uh, Judge Hershey sort of, like, holding her gun at rest. And then, of course, Judge Dredd looking at, you know, hand on his hips, looking off into the, into the distance. <laughs> right. You might pop a cap in you just from looking at this image, right? I like that. Listen, yeah. You know, don't stare too hard, you know? Uh, and then the special ends with a shot also by Robinson or, yeah, of a dread on his lawmaster riding off into the sunset back on the streets. Right. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it's good. And so, hey, that takes us to the end of this special, Eli. Man, thank you so much for working through with me and all your artistic insights, which are really uh-huh. amazing. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. As I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to uh, talk at you about stuff I'm passionate about. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff generally, so it's good to get yeah. some expert info. But yeah. with all this covered, I have to ask you, what were your top and bottom thrills for this, the 1989 Judge Red Mega Special? Oh, man. Okay, so... Because my trouble is with the top. Mm. Uh, I liked uh, Hershey's standalone story, but I also liked uh, Bowler Hat Rat. I mean, that was yeah, know, Son of Ratty's Red. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, man, now I'd have to go with um, uh, Judge Hershey's uh, narrative. Jeez. Nice uh, uh, for uh, artistic reasons and narrative reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it might be my bias for manga coming in, but I did really <laughs> like the cross hatching and how the space was used for the paneling. Uh, oddly enough, um, uh, a story and image are the you know the top criteria for me. But I weigh um, the visuals I think heavier than most people do. Sure, and I just like the uh, I, I'm a sucker for strong lines, uh, color, depth. Using just those two colors to accomplish so much, I find very impressive. Nice. So I think it's just because it had less colors than, you know, uh, the son of Ratty yeah. that I actually uh, put it above. But also, you know, 
I like the character. I like what mm-hmm. she was going through. I like what she accomplished. I like that if she kept her her puns internal, which I really appreciated. <laughs> yeah, so I have to give that one the top. Nice. Um, and what do you think for uh, a yeah. for a bottom thrill? Like, I mean, you know, like it it bottom doesn't necessarily mean that, mean bad, right? Yeah, I know. that uh, it's terrible. But you know, you can kind of like figure out, like, all right, well, I like this one the most, and so you know, this sort of what a is it? I, uh, there's a joke down. I make. Um, I um, uh, work at an escape room, and we have three escape rooms. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people will pick; they're all varying difficulty. Sometimes people pick the second most difficult escape room. So I'll say, "Oh, you sure you want that one? It's the second hardest escape room." People look at each other like, "Oh no, that's, that's terrible." And I say, "Oh, it was also the second easiest because we only have three. And they're like, they calm down. Oh, okay, because you know it's all relative. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah. So by no means I mean that I dislike this one. But if yeah. I had to put one on the bottom, it would be Birdman, uh, only because uh, I didn't appreciate how Birdman was trying to date. I feel like he, there are more. <laughs> Not a gentleman. Yeah, civilized ways to try to, you know, woo, you know, or court someone you're interested in. And I found his uh, behavior rude. Uh, That's extremely I, fair. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> but also, I mean, um, ultimately, it's, I think it's at the bottom because I feel like I didn't learn a lot about Dread except for uh, he, <laughs> what, what, what did he say? Um, uh, a doing uh, bird means a prison sentence. Uh, no, uh, uh, dealing oh, with lawbreakers. Yeah. And he doesn't do doesn't lawbreakers, count. indeed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're going, you're going preschool on us, uh, dread. I guess. Uh, so for those reasons, I'd have to put it a little bit lower. I would have liked to know more about uh, dread. I would have liked to know more about uh, that girl's husband sure. or a boyfriend. What his two was. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, it le- it left me feeling like I wanted more, so I think mm. that that would be the main reason why. Awesome, yeah. I think for me, I might I th- I think I'll I'll join you with a uh, Birdman as my uh, bottom uh, story. I think yeah, it's just sort of it just feels kind of random, like just sort of this mm. character I've never seen before, kind of like you know expects me to feel bad for him or something like that. I just don't really mm. know what's going on. I guess. Also, like, I don't know, so many of the stories have so much going on in the backgrounds and stuff that it makes mm. Birdman feel really empty by comparison, right. like almost yeah. noticeably so in comparison right. to some of these other stories. Yeah, they they took advantage of the negative space and the blankness, so there wasn't mm-hmm. as much going on. Um, oddly enough, uh, could I add another uh, criteria? Oh, if sure. I just go art-wise, art yeah. go just top-bottom for art, Birdman would raise pretty close to the top. Oh, nice. I really like the line work. I really like the uh, colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just the narrative uh, didn't grab me. Sure. And if I had to put one on bottom, ah, oh, man, ah, I'd have to put uh, Ratty's Revenge on <laughs> the bottom of art. O- only, I mean, I really loved it the uh, narratively, but um, it seems like um, I wish they were a little bit more consistent in their either use of line or don't use line, mm. but they seem to bounce back and forth every so often. Interesting. And that kind of uh, bothered me a little bit. You know, of course, it was still cute, charming, and uh, very well played. You know, son of Daddy. You know, he <laughs> yeah. he he he, uh, he won that battle, but. Uh, <laughs> Artistic wise, I'd have to uh, dock points. Yeah, I think for my top thrill, I'm going to go with uh, with a night at the Basho, the first story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was a fun one. I kind of like this like Wally Squad character of Iceman and stuff. That was fun, and just like the uh, the pull and the giant sausage rolls of drugs out of the out of the sumos. That was pretty excellent. There was right. 
good sumo art, just some decent action and just sort of a general, like a good sense of like what, of uh, some, some life in Mega City 1 stuff that I think is right. really good, yeah. a good opener. Yeah. And, and it was conveyed uh, very well. It didn't really leave you like questioning like, oh, what what's going on here? Um, Not very much zip things very, up. Yeah. Right. Everything was very legible. There was a guy in it whose name was Ice. So, you know, that's uh, yeah. great. Um, what you're looking for and, absolutely yeah exactly and uh yeah i really like the art on this one as well that's it it looks like they use brush uh and some watercolors use a lot of grays mm-hmm. um yeah i really like that one as well that would that would have been my second place um, nice i think uh, yeah do i have a soft spot for my for female protagonists maybe yeah. I, I think i might i mean you know <laughs> you know we'll see we'll see a fair amount in the magazine for sure there's sort of just a lot of options out there but yeah awesome so i hope everybody enjoyed the show as always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com, or on Spotify. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K for everything else like Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. Eli! Oh man, I can't thank you enough again for uh, for starting out on this journey of thrill power to learn more about Judge Dredd, his life and times. Uh, where can we find you on the internet and your uh, and and your comics and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so um, look up Slim Stories on Facebook. You'll find me. Uh, okay. My name's Eli Beard. E L I B E A I R D. You can also find a lot of my stories on Webtoons. I'm trying to just prioritize there. If you look up Action Land, Alien 101, or Dog of the Dead, you'll find a lot of my stories. If you're going to just dive in on something, I recommend Dog of the Dead. It's, that one's really fun. Dog of the Dead's great. I like. I, yeah. I, I, I kickstarted that, by God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, very popular. And then uh, my other ones are a little bit longer, but they're a little bit more personal to me. So if you want to know my sense of humor or some of my experiences, that's a good place to start. Awesome. No. Overall, yeah. my philosophy is... Um, you got to put your heart into it, put some of your own feelings, which is why I like uh, Judge Dredd. You know, I feel a lot of heart and world and experiences are put into that narrative. So Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stuff in there for sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll link to all this in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely perfect. appreciate it. I think it should be good times. All right. Mm-hmm. So come back next time as we at last reach episode 200 a good time will be had by all as dread heads to banana city the medevac team is flying out and rogue troopers headed to cinnabar until then i'm conrad they're eli and we are space spinner 2000 splendid birth ring. <laughs> <laughs>